0: you're listening to the technology for mindfulness podcast episode 89 hosted by me robert plotkin today i'm going to be speaking with dr Seku gathers a coach emotions architect trauma expert entrepreneur and host of the truth prescription podcast dr gathers has two decades of experience working as an emergency physician in new york city Combining this with his personal experience confronting his childhood trauma, he has created his own coaching practice called Reshaping Trauma. Dr. Seiku Gathers is also the host of the Truth Prescription podcast. You can find out more about Dr. Sekou Gathers at reshapingtrauma.com and thetruthprescription.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Dr. Seiku Gathers to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with Dr. Sekou Gathers, you'll hear him talk about many things. It's a very wide-ranging interview. One of the things he will mention, describe, is his FREEDOM method, which is an acronym. He'll describe it in detail. And we'll also mention my ORDER method, also an acronym. And I was thinking a bit about the similarities and differences between the two. I think in the end, they're actually quite complementary to each other. If I'm understanding a Dr. Sekou's freedom method, I think it's a very holistic, wide-ranging method. He uses it with his clients, as you'll hear, to address all kinds of life issues, trauma, and otherwise. The order method that I have developed is more focused on how to design and execute individual decisions. I think you might think of them more as freedom being more of a macro level, and order being more of a micro level solution. And that's why I think they could be thought of as complementary to each other. Let me just give a little understanding of order. It stands for observe, reflect, decide, execute, and repeat. And you'll hear Dr. Seiko and I mention that we both have martial arts backgrounds. It's certainly one context in which you could use order. Let's say you are in a conflict, a physical conflict, It's extremely important, of course, to observe what's going on. Let's say that someone's attacking you. The very first thing you have to be able to do is observe what's happening. Let's say a punch coming at you. If you can't do that first step and observe, you're going to get nowhere fast. True in all decisions, but it's natural, particularly in a conflict or high-stress type of situation, to shut down in some way, and really not even be able to observe what's going on. If someone's throwing a punch at you, you might black out, I don't mean pass out, but your ability to process visual information may shut down temporarily. You might physically flinch, turn away from what's happening. That limits your ability to observe. So observing the reality of the situation you're in is the very first step of order. Then once you've observed, the next step is to reflect, introspect, evaluate what it is that you've observed. Now, these may sound very simple and straightforward, but we all can tend to not engage in these steps. Let's say we observe. Uh, Very often, it's, it's easy to jump straight to acting once you've observed, based on habits we've developed, internal programming that we have that you jump straight from observing to taking an action, some habitual action that you've learned to carry out based on your observations, whether or not it's the wisest action to take. So inserting that step of consciously reflecting is very, very important and something that we often do not do. The next step is to decide. Again, it may seem simple. Of course, you have to decide what to do before you do it. But again, We are all subject to carrying out actions reflexively, instinctively, without really making a conscious decision. Might be based on emotions. Now, it's not bad to take your emotions or feelings into account when deciding what action to take, but that taking them into account is part of reflecting. Instead of reflexively acting out your feelings or acting, based on your feelings, the decide step involves deciding based on reflection on the feelings, which inserts some, hopefully, wisdom into the process instead of just instinctively reacting to your own feelings or even your own thoughts. Then, once you've made the decision, you execute it. Now, that, again, may sound totally straightforward. Well, of course, once you've made a decision, you would execute it. But let me ask you, how often have you made a decision, been very clear that you've made it, and then wavered on executing that decision and carried it out? You second-guess yourself. You go back to thinking about whether it's the right thing to do. Decisiveness in execution is really important. And if you have observed, reflected, and then decided in mindful, conscious ways, you'll be more likely to be able to then take that decisive step of executing without uh, going back over your decision over and over again. And instead, just do it. Now, I say just do it. Remember, you've done a lot before the doing it. (laughs) So you're not acting reflexively, but you are acting decisively once you've decided. That's what execute means. And then repeat, which means the world doesn't end and come to a stop at the end of that execution. Now you're in a new moment. You observe again and repeat the process over and over. That's what life is like. It's a series of constantly observing in a mindful way, reflecting, deciding, and executing. So this is a very action-oriented approach. And as I said, you can see it's very micro in the sense it's focused on a way of mindfully, consciously making decisions and carrying them out about individual actions. So I hope you find that helpful and I hope you find it uh, helpful to consider when you hear Dr. Seku talk about his freedom method which as I said I think is a is a more comprehensive method in which order can fit into as a way to help you carry out individual decisions within that framework of freedom. I hope you find it helpful and I hope you enjoy this upcoming interview with Dr. Seku Gathers. Hi, Dr. Seku, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. Under the circumstances, how are you?
1: Yes. (laughs) We're making it. We're managing.
0: (laughs) We're we're here. Yeah, a lot of what we'll talk about today is, you know, how you help people deal with circumstances like this, deal with with normal life difficulties, but that are exacerbated by something like, like the
1: pandemic. It's been a cleanser. It's been the great cleanser. Yeah. I'd love to start
0: out by you just giving people a little bit of background on yourself and how you came to your coaching work, particularly on trauma and healing. I know that you are a physician, including emergency room physician for more than 20 years. And I'm curious to know, I'm sure our listeners are curious to know how and why you made the transition from that to helping people with this other kind of healing.
1: Well, it's interesting. I've actually been working with and managing trauma my entire life uh, it really wasn't that much of a transition. Mm. I was sexually, you know, assaulted at age eight and age 10, mm. which was obviously traumatic. My parents got divorced when I was around 16. So that was, you know, a trauma in my early, you know, late twenties got divorced. <laughs> I was diagnosed with a life threatening illness, but then obviously in ER treating physical and psychological yeah. trauma. So it's something I've been really, um, Working with and managing, when I decided to make the pivot into coaching was really natural. I've always been a, a someone that's what's called an empath. Which do uh, you are you familiar with?
0: I am familiar with that. Maybe you can tell people. I know that if you do any kind of internal work, and you can do personality tests and other things, that that is one dimension along which people lie.
1: So an empath is essentially someone that has the gift of being able to sense and physically feel what other people are feeling. So give you a perfect example. If I'm in a room with someone and they have a sore throat I, and I start talking to them, I will get a sore throat. And so once I realize and once I fully accept it, oh, this is an actual gift. I'm already positioned. I've been dealing with trauma all this time and I've healed my own trauma, both through therapy and coaching. I, I felt like, this is where I can best serve in the world right now and really be in my greatness. And so that's that's how I kind of came to it.
0: Yeah, that is a gift that you're giving back to people. And, you know, when you talk about trauma, I know that that has a lot of different meanings to people because we could be talking about physical trauma and many different types of mental, emotional, spiritual trauma. You know, I wonder if you can talk a little bit Maybe about what what are some of the most common kinds you see with people and what's most pressing for people today?
1: Yeah, I see really what some people would probably call micro traumas, right? Not maybe as horrific or horrendous as a sexual assault or rape, but something like a divorce. It's traumatic. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic mm-hmm. has been very traumatic for people. So. Things like you know, things like that. Basically, a uh, trauma is any unhealed wound. Anytime yeah. you upset the apple cart, and it, it it leaves a scar, leaves something that's open, that's unrequited, that you haven't really dealt with, that you haven't really healed. That's those are the areas that that I focus on, and um, it's really powerful because what ends up happening is that the trauma it happens in that moment, even if it was twenty years ago. Your mind, body, spirit creates a definition, a a certain perspective about what that means, what that Mm. means. And you carry it with you for as long as you carry it with you until you have some healing around it, until you do some work around it. So um, it can be really tough. COVID has been particularly interesting. I think we were were speaking about this before the break, that the the divorce rate is up 34 percent. People are in these closed spaces and nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. (laughs) They have to deal with the issues. People are realizing, hey, this probably is not going to work long term. Mm-hmm. It's tough, but that's why I call it the great cleanser, because I feel like it brings everything. It, it has brought everything, uh, exposed everything, brought everything real to the surface and has created this great opportunity for us to to really to be able to take advantage of it, even politically. I don't want to get too political, but sure, if COVID didn't happen, there were probably certain aspects of our current administration that, you know, we may, may not have been exposed that because of COVID had had gotten, have gotten exposed.
0: You know, the couple of things you've said strike me as uh, indicating what might be a kind of attitude you have, but tell me if this is right. You know, you've talked about your own personal experience as a gift and then COVID as an opportunity. I think a lot of people wouldn't talk about those things in those terms In that kind of forward-looking, finding the, uh, the opportunities in,
1: in the painful? Well, this is the thing. You always have two options with anything. It doesn't matter what it is. You have an opportunity to look at it in a way that's helpful, or you have an opportunity to look at it in a way that's not helpful. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> Simple. and that's really how I try to really you know bifurcate things. So, yeah. look, I could... Do the oh, woe well, is me thing. And I've done it in my life. I think we all have. Mm-hmm. But does it move you forward? No. no. And these days, my intent with everything I do is to try to do it with a, a, a few drops of love in there. And mm-hmm. a lot of drops of love in there. And So what's the most loving way I can look at this particular situation for myself? And so that's why I always try to look at things in terms of what's most helpful. What is actually yeah. going to move me forward, give me energy? Yeah. Right? Rather than drain my energy, Yeah, <laughs> which is one of the things I, I um, recently published a book called um, Total Body Wellness, The Truth About Your Health. And one of the things we talk about in the book is things, whether it be for your mind, your body or for your spirit, that will, can actually benefit, that mm-hmm. can actually provide, that can actually give to you, give you energy versus take it away. So.
2: Yeah,
0: and you, you talked about trauma as a kind of unhealed wound. I've heard other metaphors similar to that. You know, like a nerve ending being exposed or a burn that's still there. All similar. There's something uh, harmful that occurred, but it's not just in the past. There's some way in which it's still present now, unprocessed. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's unprocessed. It's like um, eat, eating a steak and it just never gets digested. It mm-hmm. just kind of hangs out in your stomach, <laughs> you know, and you're bloating and, you know, stomach pains for years, not right. really understanding why, but there's a way that, you know, for healing to happen, there's a way that you have to be able to process things to get them out. And for everybody, it's different. The reason, so one of the things, one thing I wanted to, to touch base with the audience about is the difference between coaching and therapy, right? So with therapy, Therapy is really about the past mm-hmm. and why things in the past happened and trying to understand that. Coaching is about the present and the future, where you are, where you mm-hmm. want to go. And so what happens a lot of times with trauma is that people have had some therapy, some work around it, and have some kind of intellectual understanding of what it is and why it is, but are still are still affected by that pain yeah. every day. It's affecting their relationships, that, you know, how they deal in work, right. uh, how they complete tasks, their mindset. And so if you look at all that, you know, some people with coaching, they need something physical. They need to do something physical to reconnect with their body because mm. a lot of times trauma gets trapped in the body, especially if it's physical trauma, it gets trapped yeah. in the body. So something like what you did with you know uh, martial arts. Yeah helps. I, I sometimes send people to do martial arts or to to just spar, to just yeah. move the energy in the body, right? Because all the intellectual understanding, if it's stuck in your body, it's yeah. stuck in your body. You can understand it for days and days and days, but you have to start to move that energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so th- those are some of the differences. Coaching is more of like a live visceral experience mm-hmm. than just kind of sitting and talking with somebody. I give my clients assignments before covid we would we would go out and get out into the into the into the field and do different things yeah. so uh it's fun it's a lot of fun
0: yeah it's great i mean it sounds like and i've i've had coaching too it's action more action oriented i mean it does engage your mind you do have to understand but in the end you're focused on what action can i right. take now what am i going to do right and i very much relate as you said for martial arts and i know you're you're a martial artist as well This attitude about stuckness or fixedness at any point, always being almost death, but not to take it that far, that things need to keep flowing, right? Everything needs to flow. And that's what you work on is how to keep the mind, body, spirit in motion.
1: And that goes back to what we were talking about before about, you know, that sort of bifurcation, like, how am I going to look at this pandemic thing? Mm.
2: If you
1: look at it like, oh, what was me? I'm being beat down. It's horrible. It's terrible. Nothing's flowing everything is right. stuck, yeah and again we've all been there i've been oh, there. sure but at some point you have to make a decision I, i'm even going to lay here i'm going to get mm-hmm. up off the ground right start moving we're alive beings and to your point part of being alive is breathing living flowing exchanging energy it's it's yeah. it's a it's a moving thing even when you're sleeping your body is active
0: I'm sure there's no easy answer to this, but maybe you can talk about how you work with people in your practice, which is when, and I've experienced this, so I'm going to say when I'm feeling stuck, that's the hardest place from which to get unstuck, of course. How do you help people you know, make, make that initial leap almost from being stuck to acting, knowing as you said, that just understanding intellectually that it would be helpful is not necessarily enough?
1: Yeah, I'll say this. So the idea about being stuck, what we normally start with when I work with somebody, people usually refer to me because they're not where they want to be in life, right? So that's kind of like being stuck. Usually we we, we, we usually don't get to the the, the verbiage of stuck till later, but the principles at the beginning are, I'm here and I want to be over there. Yeah. Right? So I actually have a a seven-step proprietary process that I... uh, that I've developed over the years, it's spell. It's a seven-step process spelled out freedom, right? So, how do we get free? I know you have one too. If yes, you order, order. Yes, order. Yes, order. Yours is order. I, <laughs> I read it. I like it. Um, if you haven't read it, make sure you read it. So, the, the first part is finding is at finding the disconnect.
2: Hmm. So,
1: where are you? Where do you want to be? That's pretty simple, but sometimes it changes. Like we start talking, they think they want to be there, but they really want to be over Mm -hmm, there. mm -hmm. So really trying to find that because then we have a roadmap right now. We know where we want to go. So R is really about looking at the reconnection because we're disconnected, finding disconnect. How can we reconnect? And so we address things like mindset, right? Mindset Mm. is is important and I have different, exercise and, and, and activities and things that we can do to, to, to address and change the mindset. We look at blind spots. People mm-hmm. don't realize the difference between blind spots and mindset is that blind spots are actually unconscious. You, your mindset, you know, like, yeah, you, it's really top level conscious mind. Like, yeah, I probably don't have the level of confidence that I, I think I should, mm-hmm. but a blind spot will be something like, I'm really looking for my mother's approval, like something that's like mm-hmm. so below the surface that you don't even really realize it. I address people's habits, right? Mindset usually leads into habits, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes your habits are because of things your family told you or you saw on the internet or right. whatever, <laughs> right? right? But that habit is not in alignment with what you say your mission is where you say you want to go. So we we address those things. Obviously, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a former physician, but always still going to be health focused, looking at looking at the things in your life, be it diet or exercise that are taking your, you know, draining energy from you and looking at the things that are giving you energy. And sleep. Slowly <laughs> sleep. So more sleep, better, better diet. I'm being very broad, but those type of things, because you can't do, you can't be successful at doing anything yeah. without your, without energy. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. You know, you say you want to run a $5 million company, but you, you have no energy. You got your mindset together. You got your habits together. You know where you want to go, but you're in the bed. <laughs> Right? It's it's not going to work because you're in the bed because you ate five steaks before you went to sleep. We address those type of things. And then the last thing I really, to me, is one of the most important after you get the other things in in line is the people in your life. Yeah. Because sometimes those people don't need to be in your life. Mm -hmm. There are some people (laughs) that are just negative and just naysayers. Yeah. And they may be subtle negative naysayers. You may not realize it. Even when I went through my coaching program, there was... Somebody that um, I was, quote unquote, friends with for many years. <laughs> but as my coach started dissecting different things that had occurred over time and then something specifically that happened while I was being coached, it was clear like this person has a complete victim mindset and they're projecting that mm-hmm. on you and then you get pulled mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. You need to start easing these people out of your life. Yeah. Some of them need to go away quickly. Some, yep. of, some of them you can ease out slowly. <laughs> and so all of that is part of reconnect and then the e is extreme accountability obviously i'm bringing 100% you you bring 100% but all of these things i'm going to make sure that you're actually yeah. doing them you know throughout throughout weekly biweekly meetings the second e is excel you start to get some momentum as mm-hmm. these things become more and more prevalent in your life d is design strategy or symphony which means that as you get more and more of these wins, you start to see, oh, a clear example would be, I'm doing A and the result is B. Hmm, I can use this strategy in my life. Like it's a very clear thing. It becomes yeah, very yeah. very technical. Yes. Always ownership. So once you begin to be able to do these things consistently, something magical happens, you no longer feel victimized and you right. start to own everything. So win, lose, a draw, you still feel like a winner because you, you've you actually become, and this is something you talk about, you've become 95 percent proactive versus 95 yeah. percent reactive. So once you can own everything, then everything becomes a lot, a lot easier. And then the M, the last word in the freedom is mission accomplished. You've gotten where you want to go. <laughs>
0: That's great. I mean, as you're talking, there's so many things I'd love to talk about in there. <laughs>
1: okay. But that's uh, the process. It's yeah. broad strokes that, that, uh, that I work with clients on.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of them is, and I'm sure this is, you know, why people go to you and benefit from you, which is that try as any of us might, many of these things, particularly the blind spots jump out, are just so hard for any individual to do for themselves. I mean, I've had experiences where I've come to perceive my own blind spots, yep. but most of the time it's with the help in some way of another person.
1: Of course. Right. right? Yeah. No, you have to. We're, my job is to be a mirror. That's my job. And I talk to you. I listen to you and I notice things that you won't know. That's why it's a blind spot. And then right. we write it down on or we write it down on a sheet mm-hmm. and then we track it. We track it. How many times does this happen? When does it happen? All right. Now we see that. What are some strategies? Maybe we can do something different or what can we put in place? Or, you know, we play, it's like chess. We move around, we play around yeah. with it until it no longer becomes. well, first of all, once you take it out of, once you become aware of it, it's no longer a blind spot. Yeah. So check, check. That's, that's <laughs> a good thing. Right. Yeah, because they say the the punch that's going to knock you out is the one you don't see coming. Right? That's right. <laughs> so, and you know that as a, as a martial artist, right? That when kid, you pu-
0: when you punch, you try to make it be the one that the other person won't see coming. Correct, also, <laughs>
1: correct, correct, exactly, exactly. So that's that's part of uh, that's part of the work. It's part of the, the, yeah. the, the fun, you know, uh, that I have when I work with folks.
0: Yeah, and you know, one thing about that, and I I know this from my own experience, is to. Even be able to acknowledge a blind spot when someone like you points it out requires me to have some degree of humility and openness
1: to that. And objectivity. Yeah. Yes, and objectivity. Can That's you
0: talk why... talk about that? Because I'm sure, again, that people... Look, if someone comes to you, it probably means they have at least some amount of motivation to change. Maybe <laughs> not. Okay, <laughs> depends. That depends.
1: turned a lot of people away. Yeah,
0: basically. for that reason, because you don't think they have the
1: impetus to so, or the attitude it needs to be a 200 percent relationship they need to give 100 and i'm going to give 100 and if i feel in our conversation that it won't be 100 yeah from them then i know it's not going to work also this kind of work is very personal yeah right? so it has to be almost like a you know a custom-made suit you have to fit the person the person has to fit you you have to enjoy being with the person and helping them on their journey and you have to actually enjoy what their journey is about. I've had right. some people come to me and tell me, I won't even tell you what their goals are. Sure, like, sure. I really don't want to be involved in that.
0: Understood, understood. So,
1: yeah, so although therapy and coaching are different, there is definitely, I, I find that my clients that do the best are the ones that have had at least some therapy because that at least gives you that objectivity where if I say something that it, it may hit your ego, but there's a part of you that knows that I'm probably right. Mm-hmm. Or you'll at least give it, let's say a week or two weeks to mull yeah. over it, to be open to the opportunity and the possibility. Yeah. And also to know that I'm here to help you, in your best interest. And I always tell clients, I may not be right, but this is what I'm sensing. How does that resonate with you? And so it gives them an opportunity to say yes, no, or not. But I just find that in those initial calls before I even, you know, actually book with book a client, I usually do two or three discovery calls just to kind of get to know each other and, and see if there's a place for me to help. I'm looking for that. I'm looking for their their openness. I'm looking for their ability to follow up and follow through. I'm looking for all those things because it's important. Because what happens is, and I don't know if you see this with your work, but somebody will come, they're half committed, they'll sort yeah. of half do the work and then they'll say, see, I tried that thing with Dr. Sekou and it didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, but well, you didn't do the work. <laughs> <laughs> right. The work doesn't work. You do the work.
0: Right, right. And it's just, it's a, it's a certain mindset that they have. I mean, so I'm, I'm a lawyer by day and I have a business coach who, who has worked with many lawyers. And he's told me, he's had lawyers come, similar situation. They come to him, they want the results, let's say more profit, but he can tell they're going to fight him on changing. They don't like marketing. And if he makes a suggestion, As you said, they don't it's not that they have to agree, but there needs to be an openness to the possibility, at least. And he's told me there's certain lawyers and I'm not surprised who, you know, are don't even have that initial openness to the possibility that someone else might have a solution that would work for them. And then that just won't go anywhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like those people actually need a, a personal coach, not a business coach, because how you do business is how you do personal yeah. And so it means in their personal life they're not open. They're stuck. Right, they're, right, they're, right. They're not uh, uh, receiving. They're, they're they're closed off. And so until you address those things the business will never achieve anything anyway.
0: Right. And you know, you also mentioned ego, which you know, I know through mindfulness practice, it's a helpful way of being able to detach from the ego and uh you know, I notice that I have certain habits and through mindfulness practice, I can notice that I have
1: them, but not be so attached
0: to them and hold on to them so tightly.
1: Yeah, it's important. I mean, I've I've meditated for daily for close to 10 years. And um, I can tell you over time, over a lot of practice, 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 you do get to a point where you can definitely be in the moment. Things affect you, but they don't have the same degree of intensity that they once did. Plus, you know, after forty, you just don't give a damn. So right. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the <laughs> that's what they say after forty, you just you just like whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the ego is 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 a dangerous thing, man. It's um, it's like this uh, as I describe it in my book. It's like uh, Windows ninety eight. You know, it's <laughs> like this old outdated <laughs> software uh, uh, that just it's just there, and it's 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 not upgraded to today's information, right? Because the ego is usually Tripping about something that happened five years ago or 10 years ago or tripping about something that may happen in the future. But it's not here and now. It's not present. It's not in the present. And so that's the problem with the ego, because it's got all this old, outdated info in there. And it's just bad for business. (laughs) And it it has to be right. And it wants to be right all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's attached. (laughs) You know, you mentioned before that uh, one of the things that, that people engage in, I would call it self-pity, the woe is me thing. You know, another thing that I know know I've worked a lot on is um, indignation, which is another thing that, and and I would see the ego as being attached a lot to that. How can this person be what they are or say what they're (laughs) saying? You know, that indignation is, I might disagree with them, but the attitude of righteous indignation is a way of, I feel, getting
1: stuck. And there's a lot of that in our culture, for sure. There is. And there's something I I won't say here because I teach it in in my program, but there's definitely a a cycle that all of us like to be in. Mm -hmm. And you can see it pervasive throughout society. And once you learn what that is, you can see how you don't need to be in it. Mm. I know I'm being super vague, yeah. but uh, my clients know what I'm talking about. Okay, you've piqued my curiosity, though. I really <laughs> so want to know what there, that is. There is a way to disconnect from those type of feelings and emotions, even if you're not a meditator, just with yeah. some basic intellectual understanding, there's a way to do it. So yeah. there's hope. There's hope, America.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's also one thing that strikes me about your approach is it it's just strikes me as very eclectic. You know, you talk about drawing on your medical background, on mindfulness, on martial arts, on, on coaching practices. And I mean, does this sound right that you, you know, you put things together in your own unique way based on what works and you're probably always evolving it, I guess.
1: Sure. Well, I'm always evolving. I get up every day with the goal of, of being better every day, better father, better coach, better mm-hmm. human every day. And so naturally things will evolve. As long as it's in service of, you know, the truth, which is what my show is about, the truth prescription. As long as it's in service of the truth, mm-hmm. um, I'm with it. I'm ready.
0: Yeah. I wonder if we can go talk a little bit more. We touched on it through, uh, throughout yeah. is, you know, COVID and what yeah. what impact this is having on people. I know before we started the interview, we chatted a little bit and you were saying how you feel that this um it's been the cleanser it's brought a lot of issues to the surface and can also magnify issues so you know what what are you seeing in your coaching practice in relation to covid and you know uh, and and are there any insights you might be able to share with people or uh, words of encouragement or uh, suggestions about how they can deal with this really unprecedented situation
1: it's tough the major thing is a pervasive feeling of victimization that's the main i mean I could write a whole essay, and, but it all comes down to victimization. What I tell my clients, and I mentioned it earlier, is that you always have a choice. Mm-hmm. Life is about choices. And no matter how much you think or feel that you have no choice, you always have a choice. Mm-hmm. And so part of this is, hey, what they say, uh, what they say, make lemonade out of lemons. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I've got two options. I can do this and just kind of be depressed and angry and upset about why something isn't the way mm-hmm. it was before. Yes. Or I can look at what is use my creative faculties and figure out a new way. We mm-hmm. all have creative faculties, right? God, yes. the creative Allah, whatever you want to call him, gave us the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain for a reason, left sides for logic, right sides creativity. So we're all creative. We all have the ability to solve problems. So, Using it and tapping into your creativity during times of stress Mm -hmm. is a good way to create new solutions that previously didn't seem like they were there. Sometimes you need a coach to help you with that. Yeah. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. So I'm going to push
0: back, not because I disagree with you, but because, you know, I noticed some of these habits in my own mind of feeling Victimized or helpless, or like there are no options in relation to COVID. And there are, of course, some real objective facts out there, right? That a lot of our movement is more limited than it was. Options for going places, interacting with people, Uh, certain people might have experienced really significant economic consequences that are limiting their options, health, of course, health consequences. So, what would you say to people who say, well, look, in reality, my options are much more limited now, let's say, than they were 10 months ago.
1: Yeah, I would tell them, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. But that, does, that still means you still have a choice in how you react and respond to it, yeah. right? You can still generate happiness. You can still generate creativity. You can still mm-hmm. generate a way that's going to serve you and not mm-hmm. harm you. So yeah. agree, things yeah. are very different. So I I think the other problem that I see people have and something I I myself personally have had to work on work on is that a word acceptance. You have Mm. to accept and submit to what is real. Right. It's the truth. Yes. Things are not as easy as they once were. Things are difficult. Mm. Got to put the mask on. Can't have people over for Thanksgiving. You know, got to get COVID tested every 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 so often. You got to be worried about this person coming into your house. All of these things. Mm. Yes. But when, once you submit to it and start fighting against it, because it, yeah. you're fighting against it because you're angry. Yes. Because you feel victimized. Once you stop doing that, so I'm not going to fight. I'm going to accept what's happening and still make a way for myself that that's as beautiful as I can make it.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: so great seeing like even like Broadway, you know, Broadway's been shut down and they've been doing yes. whole productions on Zoom. Yes. Each yes. actor just doing it. You make away. Yeah. And they and they're enjoying it. They're enjoying what they're doing. That would be my response. That yes, I'm not disagreeing that these things don't, haven't happened, and you have a choice.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, like just like <laughs> to speak to listeners. I think most of of the listeners to this podcast know what you mean by acceptance. You know, you said acceptance of the reality that is. You know, in the English language, sometimes acceptance has a connotation of liking what is, sure. Sure. <laughs> which is. Which is not, I don't think, what you're saying. No, no, no,
1: no, it's true. And that that was also a pivotal thing for me and also for a lot of um, trauma survivors I work with that because it comes to a point where you have to accept what happened. It doesn't Mm. mean you agree with it or that you think it's right or that you condone. No. Right. Part of the cognitive dissonance or the disconnect is that on one level, you're trying to block it out like it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But on another level, it's affecting you every day. Right. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. So going back to what you were talking about earlier with things flowing, in order for things to flow in your life, you have to just accept shit. Excuse mm-hmm. my language. You that's to, okay. You yeah. Acceptance yeah. with it. So yes, this terrible thing happened to me. I'm going to accept that it happened in the manner in which it happened. I'm going to accept all of it. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. I agree with it. Doesn't mean I like it. And now that I've accepted it, now I can actually do something with it because right, it's not this strange right, thing right, over there in right. the corner that I've, that I've hidden. Mm-hmm.
2: It's right here
1: in front of me and I'm going to cry and I'm going to emote and I'm going to let it all out. I'm going to journal. I'm going mm-hmm. to box. I'm going to do everything I can. But you can't do any of that until you accept that it actually is alive in you. That's the thing, you know, with acceptance. And it, it can be it can be tough.
0: Absolutely. Very helpful. And, you know, I, I try to, I do try to keep politics out of the podcast. All I'll say is we can see a lot, a lot over the years, even yeah. I don't even mean right now. Yeah. Of, of difficulty people have in just accepting the reality of what's happened, regardless of what they think of it. I'll just leave it at that. That was funny. And yeah. I honestly do mean in many areas, in many ways in recent years. I don't, you know, you might think I'm talking about one specific thing right now, (laughs)
1: which I am, but not only that. (laughs) Let's be mindful about this. (laughs) No, it's super, super helpful. Um, Also just really quick. I want to just, you know, this is mindful technology podcast, just the idea of mindfulness. When I think about, because you talk about, a lot about technology and how, you know, basically people, there's nothing inherently wrong with technology. It's how folks right. use it. Technology is often used as a distractor, similar to what I was saying before about having this big elephant in your room, but ignoring it. A lot of times people use that technology just to numb themselves out, just like they would drink alcohol, snort cocaine, right. smoke marijuana, whatever. And to piggyback on what we were saying before, I don't like the term mindfulness cause it, it really just connotes almost mm. like it's this big brain thing, but it's really like wholeness. I call it like wholeness because it's the whole body. It's yeah your ability to be aware of everything that's going on. So like when I bring my finger up and I touch this keyboard, I feel that pressure and, mm-hmm. the heat and, you know, uh, as I bring my, my hand back, I feel my, my shoulder, you know, rotate and, no, So all those, all those kind of things, that's what, that's what mindfulness is. The thing I like about your podcast is you're telling people, hey, look, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing inherently wrong with technology, but you have to use it and not let it use you.
0: Right. And, you know, you said addiction and, you know, that, that's a bit of a touchy buzzword. In fact, I was just uh, listening to a Pima Chodron book. I think it was, I just listened to a couple of them but I think it was don't bite the hook. Anyway, she used the word addiction to refer to almost any mental habit that you repeat on and on. Talk about being fixed or stuck again and you know, not flowing. And you know, I thought it was an interesting way of, of pushing me to think about things that I might do that I wouldn't think of as addiction because they don't involve chemicals or drugs. But if they're repetitive habits that I have that aren't promoting my health, well, aren't they addictive? And if I'm doing them unconsciously, why right. not see them as an addiction?
1: Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, like how you make people wait before they press the, the screen. Yes. Right. You're breaking up that, that neural connection yeah. um, and, and allowing them to take control over it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, there are people, there are men that are addicted to dominating women. There are women that are ad- addicted to dominating men. It's an addiction. Mm-hmm. There's a reason behind it. And, you know, that's why it's important to get some support if you want to be free.
0: If you want to be free. And so I'm curious, taking it back to the work you do with your, your clients. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, one, how you bring the, the wholeness into this, including the body and the spirit, and perhaps, you know, in, in what ways might people be able to relate to what you're talking about, helping people do this to break free of these kinds of repetitive, unhealthy habits. I mean, you've talked a lot about it in the conversation yeah. so far. I think just yeah. about everything you've said, in fact, supports that.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, listen, at least my process, and I think a lot of, a, some coaches, not all coaches, it's a, it's a total, you know, my book is called Total Body Wellness. It's a total body wellness program, basically. Mm-hmm. We're looking at all aspects because they all relate, the mind, the body. I'm just saying spirit loosely, however you define your sure. connection to a greater power. It's not just mental, we said this before. Sometimes it's physical because a lot of times trauma or other emotionally charged things are in the body, you know, you have people who have back pain for years, yeah. have an emotional breakthrough, the back pain goes away. Yes. There are things, there's things called somatic therapy, which means therapy that's based on using body movements to heal. That, it, it works, like it just, it just straight up works. So I think any healing process has to take everything into account. And obviously you go as much as your client is, is willing to, to go with you. But yeah, I've, I've done, some, we've done some crazy stuff, man. I mean, I had somebody who, um, who had a um, stage fright. His goal was to become, <laughs> become a public speaker, right? Wow. Which, which is yeah. great. Sure. Listen, often our fears are really c- covering our power. That, mm-hmm. I see that all the time, even with myself. I went to acting school, actually, to break out of my fear of just being authentic and, and being able to communicate clearly and powerfully. But this particular client, my recommendation was, hey, take a cold shower once a day for seven days. Mm-hmm. And that sort of just visceral discomfort that he felt is so horrible. I don't know if you've ever taken a cold shower. Yeah. I've done the exercise too. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but what happens over time is that your body gets used to it. Your body actually starts to generate enough heat that you mm-hmm. don't get as cold. And so then he was able to have something physical to work with when he started going in front of small, you know, we just started him with you know, four to five mm-hmm. people in front of small groups to talk because that feeling he had before that was so immersive, Yeah, it was still, it was there, but he had, he could manage it so much better. Yeah. I Cause see nothing is as horrible as a cold shower.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I really appreciate it. I mean, so many approaches out there and we did talk about this a little bit before when we chatted are, are more mind based. And yeah. you know, we know from, from martial arts training, right. You, One of my teachers would say the the mind follows the body. You train the body and that can affect your mental state and your attitude. And that's what you're talking about. Things can go in both directions. In our culture, it's often focused on train the mind and then just assume the body will do what it needs to do, which it doesn't
1: necessarily do. Well, the problem is that, especially for a lot of intellectuals, lawyers, doctors, uh, scientists, we're so cognitively based, that really the trick is to get you out of your mind because your mind is your greatest strength and your greatest weakness because it knows everything when it don't know a damn thing about how to (laughs) heal you because if it knew how to heal you would have done it already right right we know so much but know so little that that anyway and i'm talking about myself too through my process i had to just get out of my damn head yeah and so part of getting into the body is just getting out of the head and then feeling what this motion and movement is like, right? Because part of uh, more like cognitive therapy is really about trying to move energy in the mind, right? Mm-hmm. Create new connections, you know, create new uh, ways to think about stuff. With the physical body, it's the same thing. Just, it's just about movement. It's just moving mm-hmm. stuff because things get stuck, yeah. And nothing's flowing, right? Right. So name, this, name this episode, uh, <laughs> How to Flow.
0: <laughs> How to Flow. I love it. Know,
1: it's, it. It's about flowing. And once we can flow, then we start to become, get into a natural state. Mm-hmm. It's the unnatural state, that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And yet, it, and yet we're in
0: such a condition that often the unnatural feels natural because it's so familiar. Correct.
1: Correct. Yes.
0: Well, I wonder if you could... Um, leave our listeners with any hope or motivation or suggestion for something even small they can do to start making that first step out of stuckness. And we will leave people with how to get in touch with you as well. But I wonder if there's anything you can leave people with.
1: We'll just say start with slow down. Mm. Start doing things slower on purpose. And that may sound like, what is he talking about? (laughs) But something so simple as when you get out of the bed in the morning, Actually take your time, like feel your feet hit the ground. Instead of that normal cadence that you take to walk to the bathroom, take a different cadence. Maybe put your leg five inches farther out. Switch things up a little bit. That'll get you out of your program. Because, you know, before you can talk about some of the things we've talked about today with submission and flowing and any of the any of these things, changing mindset and habits you've got to sort of break up the automatic. We yes. so much do things the same way every single day that it's almost next to impossible to infuse something new. Mm. Even the first thing, when you asked me that question, the first thing that came to mind was do everything with an intention of love. But mm. if you're caught in a program, you can't do anything with an intention of love. It just it doesn't make any sense. I've practiced these things over many, many, many years and I get up every single day, Saturdays and Sundays included, meditate do my Mm -hmm. affirmations and set my intention for the day every day and so and i've been doing it a long time and so until you get can get there or find some other way to anchor yourself spiritually psychically emotionally i would say the first thing is just slow down yeah slow down your movements just try it for maybe set your clock for uh, a minute and just try it for the first minute of the day when you wake up That's great. Do everything slow. Brush your teeth extremely slow or slower than you normally would. Mm -hmm. Talk slower than you normally would. Pick your phone up slower than you normally would. Just slow down. That would be my my little advice. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent (laughs) advice. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, how can, oh, you're welcome. How can people uh, get in touch with you, learn more about you, uh, your book, and reach out to you if they're interested in coaching?
1: So my show, The Truth Prescription, where I interview people and we essentially talk about the truth that they have ignored and that when they accepted it, created a breakthrough for them. That show is going on. Hit by, we're about to go season five uh, in April. That's www.thetruthprescription.com. Instagram at the truth prescription podcast for coaching www. Uh, com or www.drsekugabbers.com that's dot scom and that's pretty much it if you listen to the podcast i do have other than full interviews every single day i have a truth tip mm-hmm. you can just go on and get a little nugget you know in the morning when you're doing your slow down <laughs> you can get a little <laughs> nugget of uh information which is just a, it's just an inspirational quote something that i came up with it's funny like um Talking about creativity, sometimes you don't realize you can do things. And when we decided to do this, I was saying, can I really come up with 365 (laughs) positive sayings myself? And I did. (laughs) Came straight through, flowed and just wrote it down. So check those out for daily inspirations. And um, yeah, that's it.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks. Oh, Oh, yes. The
1: book book is uh, on Amazon not the app you have to go to the the browser don't ask it's kindle only total body wellness the truth about your health and um, i'll actually give you a link put it in the show notes because sometimes it's hard to find
0: great thanks so much Yeah, i think people will really be interested in that and uh thanks so much dr seku for uh, being on the technology for mindfulness podcast thanks for joining us for this episode of the technology for mindfulness podcast with me robert plotkin and today's guest Dr. Sekou Gathers, a trauma expert and coach. You can find out more about Dr. Seiku Gathers at reshapingtrauma.com and thetruthprescription.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review, and share the episode with your friends. Don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology and sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. I'll see you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast.